You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. One of the things that has made Christmas time so wonderful is the fact that we get to think about and celebrate a birth. Now, when Lori was pregnant with either one of our girls, as a parent, as a potential dad, I was thrilled, I was excited, really anticipating the gift of that child. Anytime someone in our extended family or our church family comes up and says, I've got good news, we're pregnant, that's celebratory joy. And it's a wonderful thing when someone introduces you to their newborn baby. What an amazing and epic moment and event and gift that is. Of course, just six days ago, we celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ, the most amazing and epic event and gift of all time. The eternal God entering into history. The creator God entering into creation. God who made man came down as a man, starting as a baby. And ultimately, we celebrate every year this great birth of Jesus, the most important person who's ever lived in the history of the world. More songs have been sung about him, more paintings painted of him, more books written regarding him than any other person ever. Our calendar is all about Jesus. B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, which is Latin for the year of the Lord. You see, our entire recording of human history is around the birth of this baby, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we sing songs about him. That's why we send cards out with a depiction of his birth. And it's why we're still celebrating Christmas six days later. Now I know that most of you have become Christians and you believe rightly that Jesus lived without sin. He died in your place for your sin, rose for your salvation, and ascended into heaven where he is living, ruling, reigning right now. But maybe some of you don't believe that, or at least you question that. Or maybe you're at the beginning of just trying to process through that. Well, in light of that, here's the question for us today. Why was Jesus born? At Christmas, we celebrate that he was born. The question is why? Now, there are several different answers to that question, but for us today, here's the answer. Jesus was born so that we could be born again. Our primary text is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It's one verse, so you're thinking, this is going to be a short sermon. We'll see. First of all, it's written by Peter. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with the ministry of Jesus, he had 12 disciples, students as they were who followed him, learned from him. And one of those was a man named Peter. He ended up being the leader of the disciples. Now, at this point that Peter is about to write this, Jesus has died, he's risen, he has ascended back into heaven, and this man, Peter, is the leader of the early church, and here's what Peter writes in a letter that bears his name. He begins it this way. 
well, at least in verse 3. <laughs> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm really excited about something. I want to share something amazing with you. That's what Peter begins with. This whole concept of praise is rejoicing. It's celebrating. It's the kind of emotional response we get when somebody comes up to us and says, we're engaged. Or a young married couple says, we're pregnant. Or someone comes up and says, meet my newborn. There's rejoicing. There's celebrating with that. Again, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. Here, Peter is alluding to the love of God, the kindness of God, the compassion of God, the father heart of God. He's just told us that God is a father and there is this great outpouring of love and mercy and affection from the father's heart towards us. Maybe some of you didn't have a father growing up. Some of you didn't have a good father. And when you did something wrong, you would kind of live in terror of what might happen next. Will he be angry? Will he care? Will he hurt? Will he help? Well, God's a father, a perfect father, whose heart is filled with mercy. God's a father who loves his kids. God is the kind of father that in your time of need, you run to him, not from him, because he's there to help, not to harm. Again, Peter says, in his great mercy. So what is it that he has done for us? What is it that the great father has done for the family of God? He has given us new birth. So Jesus was born that we might be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me unpack this idea of new birth. It comes from John's gospel, the third chapter. One day, Jesus has an encounter with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a devoutly religious man. He has studied the scriptures. He knows quite a bit. He comes from a believing household and family line. Though he has been born, he has not yet been born again. And so in this encounter with Jesus that comes under the cover of darkness, that's why we call him Nick at night. <laughs> oh, 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 tough crowd. <laughs> in this encounter with Jesus, he had questions. And in the midst of this conversation, Jesus said something to Nicodemus that just threw him off, totally confused him. Jesus looked straight at Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. <laughs> Nicodemus' question, I mean, how is that possible? How can I re-enter and, and come out of my mother's womb again? What do you mean born again? What Jesus is talking about is that we are born physically and we celebrate that. That's why we have birthdays. We celebrate births. But in addition to being born physically, we need to be born spiritually. We need a second birth. The first birth is of your body. The second birth is of your soul. Let me explain why this is necessary. Because we all are born in sin. Some of you don't like to hear about sin. 
But let me say this. It is incredibly helpful to understanding the world around us. Sin explains why the world is not the way it should be. Sin explains why we are not the way we should be. Sin even explains why our relationships and sometimes those difficult moments around the holidays, why our families are not the way they should be. Something has gone wrong. And the Bible tells us that it's sin. Well, let me explain that to you. Sin is in relation to God. The Bible says that God is holy. God is good. God is perfect. And sin is anything that is contrary to the will of God, the word of God, the ways of God. Let me make this as simple as possible. Sin is whatever God is not. Sin includes our thoughts because God knows our thoughts. Sin includes our words, our actions, our motives, why we do and don't do the things we do and don't do. Sin includes commission, commission. That is, you do a bad thing. Sin includes omission, where you were supposed to do a good thing and you failed to do it. All of that is what the Bible means by sin. And we are sinful from our mother's womb. You don't grow to be bad. You just are. There's a guy named King David. He writes a book of the Bible called Psalms, or at least contributes the majority of these songs. In Psalm 51, he says that we are sinful from our mother's womb. Everyone is, except Jesus Christ. Jesus had an earthly mother, but no earthly father, so he didn't have that inherited sin nature that we get, that's handed down. He was without sin. He was the beginning of a whole new humanity. Now, the truth is, going back to the very beginning, we had two parents, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were blessed by God, created by God, loved by God, put into a perfect environment by God. But they sinned against him. And as a result, we inherit a sin nature from our parents ever since. This sin leads to death, separation from God. But God chose to love us, still chooses to love us, so that he would do something to save us from that terrible fate of separation from him. His father heart of mercy causes us to be born again, a new birth, a spiritual birth. And this is how it happened. Peter reminds us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So God's a father, we're all sinners, and Jesus is the Savior. And what Peter is saying is salvation, this great gift of mercy, which means that we are born again spiritually, because you could be born physically but not be alive spiritually. You could be breathing but not connected in a relationship with the God of the Bible that God has done something to take away our sin problem. And he does that through Jesus Christ. So now back to the Christmas story. Why was Jesus born? Well, his name indicates the reason that he came. His name, Jesus, literally means God is our Savior. 
And so Jesus is born, conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, and he does not have an inherited sin nature. And then he grows in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men, Luke tells us. And he lives a life without any sin. He preaches, he teaches, he heals people. He cares for the widow, the orphan, the outcast, the marginalized, the needy. Jesus lives the most extraordinary life in the history of the world. And that's why we still have our biggest holidays regarding him. Christmas is about his birth. Easter is about his death and resurrection, what Peter is speaking of here. Jesus lives without sin and then he goes to the cross and he dies in our place for our sin. And then three days later, he rises. It's actually on a Sunday. And that's why Christians worship on Sunday. It's the day of Jesus' resurrection. Death is the consequence of sin. Because Jesus had no sin, death could not hold him. And since he died for our sin, his resurrection is our victory. That's what Peter is saying. And my question to you is this. Have you been born again? Maybe you say, I don't know. Have you turned from sin and trusted in Jesus? You see, what God doesn't want you to do is to simply appreciate the life of Jesus. He wants you to experience the life of Jesus. Anyone can appreciate the life of Jesus. You can look from a distance and say, yeah, he's loving, gracious, kind, generous, very nice to women and children and those in need. Anyone can admire the life of Jesus, but only someone who's been born again can experience the life of Jesus, the resurrection life of Jesus living in you, coming into your life. That's what it means to be born again. It means to be born new in Jesus, and that requires two things. Repentance and faith. Repentance is where we see ourselves as a sinner in need of a Savior. And faith is where we trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to cover for us. Again, back to Peter. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me explain to you what happens when you receive this new birth. Everything changes. For some, it changes a little bit at a time. For others, maybe it's a lot at a time. But you begin to change. Just like when you're born physically, your environment changes. Our activities change. You begin to grow and change outside the womb. Well, the analogy is similar. When you are born again, you start to grow and change, and the life of Jesus starts to work in you and take over your life. That means you'll never be the same. And for the rest of your life, you'll continue growing to be more and more like him. So I want to list out for you several things that this means. What are the results of being born anew in Jesus Christ? Number one, You get a new Lord. All of a sudden, if you're born again, the most important person to you is not you. It's Jesus. The highest authority in your life is not you. It's Jesus. The greatest goal of your life is not your will, but his will being done. You get a new Lord. Number two, if you're born again, you become a new person. 
The Bible talks about Christians being new creations. You're a new person. You get a fresh, clean start, a total forgiveness. This is why sometimes in the Bible, people who become Christians, they get a new name. It's because they are new. So Cephas becomes Peter. Saul becomes Paul. Why? Because they are radically new. Here's the big idea. You can't meet Jesus and not change. Someone may say, oh, I'm a Christian and I've not changed. You may not be a Christian. You may have been born into a Christian family, but you have not yet been born again into the family of God. Number three. So you get a new Lord. You become a new person. Number three, you get a new identity. You no longer identify yourself by what you've done or by what others have done to you. What successes, failures, or achievements you have throughout the course of your life, none of that is your identity. Your identity is in Christ. And then you get to know something. He loves me. He forgives me. He saves me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Whatever I go through is an opportunity to become like him. It changes our entire understanding of who we are, where we've come from, why we're here, and where we're going. Number four, you get a new power. What happens with sin is that it becomes very powerful in our lives, and in the face of it, we feel powerless. That's why around New Year's, there's this flood of, of books and podcasts, New Year, New You, with the, kind of the, the overriding marketing slogan. Everyone gets a gym membership and is totally committed to the treadmill for three consecutive days. And then it's over. What are you going to do this year to make a real change in your life? Here's the truth. Apart from God's power, you cannot live a new life. You may be able to make some changes but you are not ultimately changed. And most of us have besetting sins. What that means is that you've tried and now you can't stop. Maybe the pattern is every day or every week or every month, but you're stuck. You may try to excuse it, blame it on someone else, try to control it, try to manage it, try to hide it. In Christ, you can get rid of it because you now have a new power at work in your life and being born anew. And so to be clear, it's not your power living a life for God. It's God's power living new life in you. You see, Jesus will send the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, the same power that allowed Jesus to live a sinless life and to be victory over temptation. He will send that power to be at work in you. Now there is a new power. You don't have to do what you used to do. You can act differently. It's not by your power. What we're talking about here is not more self-discipline, not more self-condemnation, not more self-motivation. We're talking about the life of Jesus in you. And all of a sudden, you're a different person. You're able to live a new and different life. Number five, this includes a new mind. You start to think differently. Things you used to be ashamed of, like 
doing the right thing, calling yourself a Christian, you're now proud of. Things that you used to be proud of, man, I can do whatever I want, I've got free, you're now ashamed of. The way you used to see God and the world and yourself has changed. And now you see God as good. You see yourself as a sinner. And you see the world as in need of him. Your mind changes. So how you view your identity, your relationships, your finances, your work, your spouse, your kids, your whole mindset changes. How many of you have experienced this? The longer you live this new life in Christ, you're thinking through the renewing of your mind and you are bringing your mind under the authority of the Word of God. Number six, you get a new community. The church becomes a family. God's the Father. Jesus is our saving big brother. That means that the church becomes a new family. The women are like sisters. The men are like brothers. And some people, quite frankly, during the holidays, it becomes very difficult because they don't have good, godly, supportive family. Well, church is family too. And some people are doubly blessed because of their family of birth and their family of new birth. And for those of you that don't have godly family, you're not abandoned. You still have the church family. It's your new community. And number seven, last one, you get new desires. If you're not a Christian, this may shock you. What happens when you're born again, when you're born anew, when Jesus takes up residence in your life, you get new desires. You want to do things you never wanted to do. And you don't want to do the things that you used to always want to do. Peter uses this analogy just a little later in this same first letter. He says, when babies are born, they crave milk. They're they're hungry. They want to eat. And when you're born again spiritually, you're hungry for the Word of God. It's the nourishment that sustains your soul. It's all of a sudden you get these new desires like, I want to read the Bible. I want to learn to pray. I want to serve other people. I want to get to know other Christians. I want to look at my possessions and my time and my life and figure out how to steward them, how to manage them in a way that is most effective for God's glory, others' good, and my joy. Think with me. What new desires has God given to you? You don't want to do what you used to do. You want to be more like Jesus, not because you have to, because you want to. You have new desires. In closing, which is a way just to make sure you're still awake, you know this past week was all about gift giving, gift exchanges. Christianity is about a gift exchange. Have you ever thought about this? To give something to Jesus? Have you ever thought about giving Jesus something for Christmas? It's not too late. And I know what you're thinking. What do you give God for Christmas? I mean, talk about a man who has everything. He doesn't need anything. He's creator God. He is now ruling and reigning over all. But here's what he wants for Christmas. 
What Jesus wants for Christmas is your sin. That's why, again, Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. What Peter is saying is this is unbelievable. In his mercy, God wants your sin. Most of us would not ask for that for Christmas. None of us had that on our Christmas list. I want sin and I want to be sinned against. That's what I want. But that's exactly what Jesus put on his list. Give me your sin. And then the exchange is this. You give him your sin and he gives you new life. That's his gift for you. He wants to give you himself as your new Lord. He wants you to be a new person with a new identity, living by a new power, with a new mind as a part of the church family, a new community with new desires. This is the great exchange. Jesus invites you to give him your sin so that you can receive from him his resurrection life in you so that you can be born anew. So what we're doing today, we're celebrating Jesus. And we're inviting you not just to appreciate him, but to experience him. Here we are in the last day of the year, and there's no better time than to give your sin to Jesus. And then you get to receive the greatest gift of all, the gift of being born again. If you've never given your sin to Jesus, just said, man, I'm tired of it. It's such a mess of my life. I keep identifying myself by my past and my shame and and the condemnation that comes with it. I don't want to do that anymore. I, I want to feel a freedom. I want to feel a weight off. That will only come as you surrender to Jesus Christ. He's the one. He's the only one that can bring life and can bring forgiveness and can bring grace and can make you new. That doesn't mean you'll be 100% perfect from here on. We'll never get that way while we're on earth because that would mean we'd need less and less of him. We won't be perfect, but we will be forgiven and we will be unburdened. You can... You can do that today, right where you're seated. You can just simply say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I want you to come into my life. I want to experience your love. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.